It's a great day for a podcast. Once again, here he is, John Oakley. There are sinister forces at work in this big old world of ours, and uh, no one needs more reminding of that than our friend Terry Glavin, who's joined us on the line in recognition of World Press Freedom Day. That's today, World Press Freedom Day. Interesting to note because uh, we're seeing diminishing freedoms when it comes to, well, journalists who have been imprisoned. Uh, you've got the Wall Street Journal uh, reporter who was, uh, well, he's in a prison in Russia as we speak. There was another last Friday, tried in absentia, I guess a guy from Bulgaria, and so it goes. Let's get Terry in here to explain and put into context why it's important to note World Press Freedom Day. Terry, appreciate your joining us again here on The Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Well, thanks for having me. Well, you know, uh, I know that you're also a senior fellow with the Raul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights. I want to try uh, tie journalism into human rights because I guess it's been said somewhat axiomatically that this, the idea of freedom of expression is the fount from which all rights are derived. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would say yes. I would have to say yes. Like Thomas Jefferson, I believe it was, once said that if you were given the, pre- the choice between government with no newspapers or newspapers with no government, he would choose the latter. And um, yeah, I would say that the ability of people in societies to have conversations with one another, to hold authority to account, is the cornerstone of both a civilized society and democracy. Well, are we seeing... Are we seeing that seriously in retreat or being undermined? I mean, I cited the examples off the top. Uh, yeah, it is. It is quite. I mean, it, it's demonstrably true that um, the cause of a free press is in is in not just retreat. It's it's in a route throughout the world, and it's becoming increasingly dangerous for journalists to do their jobs just about anywhere. Um, Places that were perhaps hostile to uh, what we might call universal values like Russia and China would nonetheless, for you know, necessary geopolitical reasons, uh, allow a degree of, uh, of, of journalism to occur if it were you know, Western journalists. In the case of Evan Gershkovich, uh, the Wall Street Journal reporter, he's actually, this is actually the the first time an American journalist has been arrested on charges of spying in Russia since the Cold War. Just about everybody has uh, has left. In China, there's basically nothing left. I was in China at a very sort of brief shining moment. I think it lasted 15 months <laughs> where you could go to, if you were a journalist, you could go to China and you check in and, you know, everybody knows you're there and the government is aware you're in the country. But you didn't have to make arrangements and get permission to leave a city and go to another place and interview someone. You didn't have to give the government any background on who you were interviewing or why. Um, And that closed very quickly. I will never be able to go back to China again. I'm one of the 300 journalists or 300 people in Canada who have been put on a Russian sanctions list. So I'll never be able to go to Russia again. I'll never be able to go even back to Hong Kong. And everybody I interviewed all my time in Hong Kong, they're now either in jail, on trial, or in exile. Um, and I, I just, I wanted to mention a couple. Can I, can I do that? I wanted to talk a little bit about some journalists whose predicaments 
I think we should be mindful of. Absolutely. Go ahead. Of course, Evan Gershkovich. Uh, in Hong Kong, Jimmy Lai, uh, who is the publisher of Apple Daily. Um, he has spent all but eight days behind bars since December 3rd, 2020. Of course, Apple Daily was shut down. Um, Jimmy's 75 years old, really popular guy, really successful entrepreneur, um, and he's prepared to die in jail. And then there's Gwyneth Ho, a young woman. She was among 47 people arrested, uh, I think, three months after Jimmy was arrested on February 28, 2021. Uh, she's been denied bail all the time, all this time. She was with Stan News. Uh, she reported for the BBC and, and so on, uh, famous for covering a protest that was attacked by uh, the triads that are aligned with the Communist Party ruling class in Hong Kong at the Yunlong train station. And she was beaten badly, really, really injured badly, but she kept filming through that whole event. Um there's also, gosh, uh, well, a couple in Canada, I think. Vincent LaRouche has a World, World Press Freedom Canada has given him an award. I don't think most people know. In English Canada, I don't think people are much aware of this. He was, uh, he was really harassed terribly um, by uh, this sort of, you know, the justice system uh, for attempting to cover a secret trial um, that uh, the prosecution service was conducting in the case of a police informant. And, and um, his work, uh, Lelouch's work, uh, resulted in a decision by the Superior Court, uh, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of Canada, that there would never be another secret trial in Canada again. And someone else I'd like to recognize is a woman by the name of Rachel Pulfer. Mm -hmm. She's the executive director of journalists for human rights. And she means a lot to me actually, because um, I spent a lot of time in Afghanistan and, you know, August, 2021, I mean, those weeks, I think I spent about two months of my life doing almost nothing but writing letters of reference and trying to keep, in touch with fellow journalists in Afghanistan and getting them out from Mazari Sharif into Istanbul and Canada is just absolute dis just disgraceful conduct on the part of the government and, uh, you know, allowing all of our friends in Afghanistan to, uh, you know, vanish into the dust. And Rachel really pulled it together for, for a lot of Afghan journalists. Uh, 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 Mamazai uh, managed to get out, thank God, uh, because of uh, her efforts. But I also want to remember someone who didn't, and he was a dear friend of mine. He was the editor of Kabul Weekly, and we spent a lot of time together. I, we got along. There was, I, I, we, we were really chummy. It was odd. And he um, was a really interesting fellow and quite famous in Afghanistan because he was he was with Ahmed Shah Massoud, the Lion of Panjshir, when Massoud was assassinated by Al-Qaeda. And uh, that gave uh, Mala Omar uh, cause to give bin Laden a green light, because bin Laden had pulled it off, to, you know, 
let those guys at the flight school in Florida do whatever they wanted to do. Hmm. And anyway, you know, back when I was hanging around with, um, in, in Afghanistan, um, I, Fahim would, would always say, you know, if, if there's a pullout, if there's a pullout, I'm, I'll have no choice. I'm going to go back to the mountains. I, you know, I'm not going to do it. Uh, there's going to be, I'm not going to be involved in any kind of negotiated peace with the Taliban. And, um, you know, he did it. He, he went up back to the Panjshir. And it was, I guess, a Wednesday night uh, when I heard from him last. And on the Sunday, uh, he was assassinated. He was gone. Hmm. And I'll always think of Fahim when I think of World Press Freedom Day, real defender of the free press in Afghanistan and a really lovely fellow, very courageous journalist. And, um, you know, I think it's really important for us to remember these people on, on a day like today and, and to remember that, by the way, you know, the Canadians rights to free speech and a free press as enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, is grotesquely violated every day of the week, every minute of the day, by these thug regimes like China. Mm -hmm. The Universal Declaration of Human Rights and its press freedoms and freedom of speech provisions provides that Canadians and Chinese people have a right to talk to one another, unimpeded, unmonitored, unobstructed. That is my right as a human being and it is being denied. As a Canadian citizen, as a human being, I cannot talk to my comrades in China. Let's talk and uh, I think we, we should remember that, that this is about uh, who we are as a human society, uh, not just as, uh, you know, this funny little Canadian place where we complain about, you know, people being mean to us online and so on. Well, uh, you know, in that context, understood, uh, you know, there's a, somewhat of a, a difference or a distinction here. But I did want to talk to about the Canadian context where some may say uh, there are lamps going out uh, in terms of freedom of expression and for journalists, too. And because uh, we've seen, of course, the controversy surrounding Bill C-11, the Online Streaming Act, uh, these rights that we so often take for granted. I think it was a quote from Ronald Reagan saying, freedom's never more than one generation away from extinction. And uh, unless we protect it and uphold it, uh, we may just see it slip away. So, Terry, let me ask you, because you were talking earlier, I mean, uh, this is something that uh, is not just threatened abroad, as we've seen the Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich. He's in a Russian jail now. Who knows what will happen to him? There was a Bulgarian journalist who was tried in absentia last Friday by Moscow. But here in Canada as well, you think we're too casual when it comes to defense of our rights, uh, these kinds of things? Freedom of expression. Oh, I do. I do very much so. Um, I mean, a lot of this is kind of like you know, the the metaphor of the the, the frog boiling in water. Uh, uh, the the if you look at the the the, the news deserts that have taken over so much of the country, we'll start with that. Um, the local news research project at Ryerson a couple of years ago found that. Uh, uh, between 2008 and 2020 in Canada, 256 local newspapers and 32 local news broadcast outlets closed between 2008 and 2020. And it's just as bad. It's actually worse in many ways in the United States. Um, 65 million Americans live in counties with only one local newspaper or none at all. Um, 
And then when you look at the, the you know, this, you can't really, you know, this is a sort of a technological issue, right? It's about the rise of digital technology, about the, class, the, the collapse of the, the conventional business model of newspapers, um, the emergence of kind of simulacra, sort of news sites uh, on, on the internet. Um, many of them are uh, beholden in one way or another to Beijing uh, or uh, Russia through outlets like Sputnik and RT News or Venezuela or Tehran. And a lot of people don't know what it is that they're getting. And I don't know that the federal government's approach is particularly enlightened, uh, which is, you know, when you look at Bill C-11, Bill C-18, massive subsidies to the CBC, uh, you know, and throwing a little bit of money at, uh, at, at, at uh, daily newspapers to make up for what we're losing in advertising revenue and readers to the CBC, which is being allowed to act like an online newspaper. Um, and and there, I think there really is something that we should be, it's subtle, and, and, and I think we need to pay very close attention to it. Sounds all very good to increase Canadian content and, you know, Facebook or Twitter or whatever, YouTube, but, you know, you, do we really want the CRTC to be doing this, to be deciding what appropriate content is? Um, the CRTC you know, we have to remember, paid a drooling anti-Semite and propagandist for the Khomeinist regime and Bashar Assad in Syria, something like $600,000 over a period of years. Leif Marouf you're uh, talking about. Leif Marouf, drooling anti-Semite, uh, to instruct Canadian broadcasters, if you don't mind, in how to be not racist. Um, so, I mean, it's, do, you, do you trust these people, right, to, to be, dis, you know, deciding what online harms uh, need to be restricted? Um, so, yeah, I think we do, we do need to, uh, to, to be mindful in Canada of those kinds of deep uh, and uh, subtle erosions of uh of the free press and free exchange of ideas and the degree to which you know the intrusion of the state uh into into the 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 marketplace of ideas if you like is is not a healthy thing at all again with terry glavin columnist with the national post senior fellow with the raul wallenberg center for human rights author of the real story on substack uh, which is I think a required read, but on World Press Freedom Day, just talking about the implications of uh, needing to protect a free press. And it's not just internationally, because those celebrated stories obviously have been brought to mind and we've cited several. But, uh, you know, here in Canada, you talk about, you know, the subject of uh, the subjective nature of the CRTC, you know, making a ruling as to what is permissible, what is not. The thing that really disturbs me, too, though, is that uh, the subtlety of ceding uh, rights to free expression willingly uh, because it seems like uh, the windows are closing there. I mean, I can say cancel culture or however it works, you know, in a corporate world, uh, you, you have to sort of toe a party line. Do you see that as being equally dangerous? I do. I do. It's, um, it's as I say, it's very subtle and there's kind of a, I think particularly now, um, you know, we've we've had about a quarter of a century of reasonable 
bipartisan skepticism in Ottawa about exactly what we're doing, spending so much money on the CBC. What's the function of the CBC? It's no longer necessary for people in southern cities to talk to people in the far north. Um, you know, like in what's it all about, right? And it actually was Jean Chrétien. It wasn't Harper. It was Jean Chrétien who took the deepest cuts in the CBC budget. But along comes the Trudeau government with a completely different idea and a, and, 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 and a, a way of looking at the world, you know, Canada's sort of post-national state with no core identity. And there's kind of a mind meld between Team Trudeau, if you like, and the people who run the CBC. And they, they have a different sort of news judgment than conventional journalists do, different kinds of agendas. And it's very much, um, you know, one of the, the, the really sad things I, I think that's happened to journalism as a, as a consequence of the old model kind of breaking down. And the old model was essentially, you know, you have a handful of newspapers, a handful of radio stations, a handful of television stations, and they were all kind of competing for the same broad and general market, the mass market. And the rise of digital technology has meant that you get a lot of newspapers that are kind of retreating into their own sort of ideational silos and, and so on. And that might not be such a bad thing. But when you have a government-owned broadcaster doing the same thing, you know, people should really, I think, whether you like the CBC or not, you know, whether you're a conservative who thinks we should defund the CBC or a liberal who thinks we should defend the CBC, it's not healthy um, for a democratic society to have a, a, basically a state broadcaster acting as as though it were the multimedia version of Toronto Life magazine. Uh, you know, it, it's just, uh, you know, with this huge budget and it just, this increasing numbers of Canadians, whether they're right or wrong doesn't matter, but an increasing number of Canadians feel like the CBC basically treats them with contempt and says nothing about their lives and their issues and is hostile to them and uh, hostile to them politically as well. You know, this is not, this can't go on. This can't last. Thus ended the lesson. I mean, that's very insightful. I always appreciate your time, Terry, on World Press Freedom Day, especially uh, a poignant reminder that we have to safeguard these freedoms that maybe we're too cavalier and casual about in this country, certainly, but need we be reminded of what's happening in other places. Uh, so eternal vigilance, I guess, the price we pay for our freedoms, as a man once said. Terry Glavin, columnist. With the Thanks very much. I, I appreciate your time as always, Terry. We'll talk again down the road. There you go. Senior fellow with the Raoul Wallenberg Center for Human Rights and author of The Real Story on Substack. Listen to The John Oakley Show live each weekday afternoon from 3 until 6. If you live in the Toronto area, just turn that AM dial to 640 and listen anywhere on Earth 24 hours a day by going to 640toronto.com. Follow on Twitter at AM640Oakley. You've been listening to A Curious Cast. New podcasts and shows are debuting all the time. So check back often to see what's new in the Curious Cast Library.